Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. And we're in week three of a series. We started a series called The Blessed Life. Now, if you hadn't felt God all morning, you're getting ready to when I show you this clip. Because uh, I don't know, some of y'all just get all excited about some big band music. I don't know what that is, but uh, y'all just want to start doing, come on, you got to just snap. Okay, y'all, I give you freedom to snap down during this, this video as we set up our, our message this morning. Watch this, it'll help set the stage. Lucky lady. Lucky lady tonight But if you've ever been a lady to begin with Lucky lady Yeah, so you can live lucky. We've been talking about, see, y'all getting all excited on some big band music. I know if we ever broke out in big band music in here, we'd have revival. I know we would. Some of you old folks would like it because some of these young folks don't even know who that was. Y'all know who that was, right? All right, Frank Sinatra. Somebody yelled Bing one Sunday morning. I was like, Bing? That's not Bing Crosby. Give me. Okay, so that's Frank Sinatra. Anyway, we've been talking about not living lucky. You can live lucky. Uh, you can try if you want to. Uh, you know, there are some things that happen in life that you might have to say, that was kind of lucky. Like, have you ever seen anybody hit a hole-in-one? Uh, has anybody in here ever hit a hole-in-one? Oh, but really? Hole-in-one. I'm not talking putt-putt. I'm talking a real deal, like 425 yards. You know. Okay, that's lucky, all right? Have you ever seen a guy pull up at half court right at the buzzer and hit the shot to win the game? That's lucky, right? So you can live lucky. Uh, like, the fact that Julie got to marry me, that was lucky, right? Uh, no, that was that was divine providence. Go ahead and tell him. You want to testify? No, she didn't want to. I'm, in, I'm dead. Y'all better pray for me. I'm dead. But I've been trying to encourage you that living luck, lucky is not the way to live because if you're going to try to live lucky, that's inconsistent. Some days you may be lucky. Some days you may not be so lucky. So we've been talking about how do we live blessed because how many of you know that if you're living a blessed life, even on your worst day, it's better than your best day as a lucky person if you're living blessed. And so I said to you that there are four ways to, to live if you're going to live blessed. You've got to live these four ways. You'll remember that week one, we said that you've got to live the generous life. You know, I told you this, and I know it's true. Generosity goes against our nature. We don't like to be generous. But as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, we should be the most generous people on the face of the earth. We ought to be looking for ways to give everything away because we know that God was generous to us, and so therefore we want to be generous in return. Anybody hear me this morning? We want to be generous. The second thing that I said to you last week was that not only should we be generous, we should live a shared life. 
We are not called to live our life alone. If you are living for Christ, you are in a body. You should be in a local body, an organized body of believers that people have something in common where we share our lives with one another. In fact, I read to you the litmus test. How many of you shared your life with anybody this week? You'll remember that the New Testament church had this thing going on where they would fellowship together, they would eat together, they would pray together, they would worship together, and they would hang out in each other's homes teaching us this that it's not enough to just come and hang out in his house on Sunday that in order for us to live our lives in a shared manner we got to get into each other's houses and get to know one another so that we find common pain common victories common uh, issues and we can relate to one another and our lives become integrated with one another. Some of you are closer to your coworkers than you are other believers because you spend more time with them. The only problem is is they are not equipped to help you when you start going through bad days because they're not living a blessed life. You need to be connected to people in the body that can pray for you, that can that can win with you, that can rejoice with you, that can weep with you. We got to be shared. We got to have some shared life. So I, I wonder how many of you passed the test this week. I know we had one of our small groups do that. They got together in a home yesterday at eight. So they're sharing life. That's what living this Christian life is all about. Well, this morning, I want to take you to the third type of living. This one's a little more difficult, a little more edgy, because I've said you've got to be generous. I've said you've got to live a shared life. But this morning, what I want to say to you is that you must live a sacrificed life if you want to live a blessed life. You will remember, just to set the stage, that I read to you out of Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that the first thing that Adam ever heard come across his eardrums, his newly formed, newly created eardrum, was God. God speaking over him and saying, I bless you. So we recognize that from the very beginning, God wants to bless us. He has designed us to live a blessed life. I took you over to Deuteronomy chapter 28, a whole uh, litany of ways that he wants to bless us. And I took you to our kind of our backdrop verse, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6. You ought to claim this verse for your life. It says this, you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In other words, God wants to bless you to such a degree that in every area of your life, you are completely encompassed, completely enveloped by the blessings of God so that on your best day, you're blessed. On your worst day, you're blessed. On your healthy day, you're blessed. On your sick day, you're blessed. Everywhere you go, you're blessed. That's how God wants you to live. In fact, we've been doing this each week so that I can force you to be in agreement with me. Because there's power in agreement, right? So let's be in agreement. I want you to say with this with me. The generous life is the blessed life. The shared life is the blessed life. And the sacrificed life is the blessed life. So how does living a sacrificed life cause or lead to blessing? You will remember that last week I read to you out of Acts chapter 2 an account of the New Testament church just as it was being established. And in that passage of Scripture that told us that they fellowshiped together, prayed together, and all that stuff, it also gave us a glimpse into the fact that they lived a sacrificed life. You'll remember out of Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 47, particularly verse 44 and 45, said this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Imagine that. The New Testament church was actually living out the teachings of Christ. There's a new concept for you. Christians actually doing what Jesus said to do. That's kind of a new idea, isn't it? And so they are actually doing what Jesus taught them to do. And you say, well, how did he teach them to do that? Well, 
I need to take you back to an account that took place in the New Testament. You will remember that Jesus came into contact with a, a young man. The description we're given in the New Testament is that the young man was a young, rich ruler. Remember that? He had countless amounts of possessions and wealth. And he came to Jesus and said, how can I be uh, your disciple? How can I follow you? How can I have eternal life? And Jesus responded to him, sell all that you have and give it to all that are in need. And you will remember that the young man walked away sad, unwilling to sacrifice. So Jesus has this encounter, but once the young man is gone, he has this conversation with his disciples, and he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. He says this, anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. So it's almost as if, as an afterthought, as a foregone conclusion that Jesus makes this assertion that if you are going to follow me, if you are going to call yourself a Christian, if you are going to count yourself as a disciple, you might as well get ready. There is going to come a moment in your life, in this journey with me, that you are going to have to make sacrifices. Now, we don't like to talk about that much anymore. But the truth is, is that this journey that we call Christianity comes at a high price and it costs sacrifice. Let me take you back, if you will, where we're going to focus our attention this morning into the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is full of examples and accounts of sacrifice. I want to take you to one account in particular, because I think it gives us some glimpses into some truth that we need to know about when we say we want to live a sacrifice life. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 17 will set the stage. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. One verse of Scripture there that will just set the backdrop by which sacrifice takes place. It says this, and this, then this happened. Elijah, the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years we are going to see a total drought. Not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. Then we fast forward to chapter 18 and verse 19. And Elijah says this. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everybody in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah are there. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. And Elijah told the Baal prophets, choose your oxen, prepare it. You go first, you're the majority, then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. And so they took the ox he had given them, prepared it for the altar, then prayed to Baal. They prayed all morning long, oh, Baal, answer us. But nothing happened, not so much as a whisper of breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them. Y'all don't think there's any trash talk in the Bible. Well, here you go. First example of some trash talk. He begins to taunt them. He says, call a little louder. He's a God after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or other. Or maybe he's gotten involved in a project. Or maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose he overslept, do you, and needs to be waked up? They prayed louder and louder cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them, until they were covered with blood. This went on until well past noon. They used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened, not so much as a whisper, not a flicker of response. Then Elijah told the people, enough of that, it's my turn. Gather around, and they gathered. 
And he put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, and he built the stones into the altar in honor of God. And then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar, and he laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put it on the wood, and said, Fill four buckets of water and drench both the ox and the firewood. Then he said, Do it again. And they did it. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the altar was drenched, and the trench was filled with water. And when it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I am doing what I am doing. I am doing under your orders. Answer me, O God. O answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance and immediately the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. And all the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awe, worshiping, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Verse 45, things happened fast. The sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloud burst of rain with Ahab hightailing it to his chariot for Jezreel. And God strengthened Elijah mightily, and he pulled up his robes and tied it around his waist. And Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. This account in the Old Testament, whew, that was, that's a lot of account. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of shape, Mike. <laughs> Too many Cokes. Uh, nah, no more Mountain Dew, just Coke. Uh, this account shows us. How it is to live a sacrifice life. Let me, let me teach you some things out here. Four things very quickly. The first thing that you can take from this account is this. Scarce equals sacrifice. You'll remember and notice that what takes place in First Kings chapter 18 is predicated by what takes place in 1 Kings chapter 17 because the Bible says that they were in a drought. In fact, it hadn't rained in three years. Some of you that have lived in Oklahoma in your, all your life understand what it kind of means to have a little drought. But they hadn't had dew or rain for three years. That means that, that Elijah, when he comes to the day of the sacrifice, encourages them to, and demands that they take four buckets of water. Three different times, 12 buckets of water. Do you recognize this morning that he was dealing with the most valuable commodity on the face of the planet? People would have traded gold for water. It was liquid gold. Their crops are dying. Their animals are dead. It is completely and totally dry. And he says, take what is scarce and pour it over the altar. Right? What is scarce equals sacrifice. See, I bring that to your attention this morning because I am convinced that most of us think that we're really sacrificing when we aren't. See, some of us are giving money as if we're sacrificing, but the truth is, is that money is not scarce to some of us. Therefore, when we act like we're doing something and we act like we're making a sacrifice, the, really, the, the truth is, is that we're giving out of our abundance rather than out of our need, and therefore it's not scarce. Some of us are acting like when we give time, that we are sacrificing. But the truth be told is that we're not really offering anything scarce because offering our time didn't cost us anything because we didn't have anything else to do anyway. 
Uh, let me break it down real practical to you. I, I just heard this week, uh, Danny told me about this. There was an individual out on the East Coast at a church, and I'm glad he did this. But they're touting the fact that he just gave them their first million-dollar offering. Now, I don't know what that church will do, but I know what most churches would do. They would probably get a big, nice plaque and put it on their wall and make to-do over him and set him up. as his. The only problem is, is that he gave them a million, but he had actually secured $55 million. You do the math. He wasn't even actually paying tithes. He's a, he's, a, he's a few million short on even doing what was expected. But we act like he was sacrificing when reality is it didn't cost him anything. If it's scarce, it's a sacrifice. We've got to come to this place where we recognize that we, if we are going to live a blessed life, we just can't give to God out of our abundance. We've got to go one step further and give to God out of our need. What is scarce? So sometimes we act like we're doing God a favor by serving in church one hour a week. Man, you're taking one hour of my lake time. The only problem is you spent 62 hours at the lake this week, and one hour wasn't really scarce. You've got time to do all the movies you want to do, all the date nights you want to do, all the games you want to go to, but you don't have any time to serve. And you come and serve and go, and make to do over me. I'm sacrificing. You're not sacrificing unless it costs you. So I have some questions for you this morning. When is the last time that you actually followed Jesus to the point that it hurt? When is the last time it actually cost you something to follow Christ? In fact, let me ask you this way. What would happen if following Christ cost you everything? See, Jesus made this statement. He, he's having this discussion with his disciples that most of us, if we're really going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you the most valuable things in our lives. Aren't they valuable? Our family, our homes, our fields, our possessions. And he's saying, look, if you're going to be a genuine believer, if you're going to live a blessed life, you are going to have to be willing to lay down what is scarce in your life. I don't know, there's a portion of scripture that I'm reminded of this morning that says, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. That cost. Some of us haven't paid any price at all to follow Christ, and we're wondering why our relationship with him is so shallow and meaningless, because it didn't cost you anything. David taught us this truth in the Old Testament, that we cannot offer a sacrifice that doesn't cost us something. I'm telling you this morning, if you're, what you're giving to God is not scarce, it doesn't count. Because it's not a sacrifice unless it costs you. What is it costing you to follow Jesus compared to what it cost him so that you could follow him? Oh, I'm going to say that one more time because if I don't, you'll forget. I want this question to wreck you throughout this week. I want you to stop and really think on this question. What is it costing you to follow Jesus compared to what it cost him so that you could follow him? Jesus is the living example, the model that God models for us that believers will be people who live a sacrificed life because he offered, God offered what was scarce. He sent his only son to die for us. So that forces us to answer this question, what are we giving back to God that's our only? Because if it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. The second thing I learned out of this account is this, is that 
living a sacrifice life will separate the real from the fake. You think about it, the Bible says that, that the, the, the prophets of Baal, they were not genuine, they were fake, they were worshiping a, a fake God. They did exactly what Elijah did. They took an ox, they prepared it, they built an altar, they put it on the altar, they prayed, they danced, they shouted, they had church, if you will, right? But when Elijah got on the scene, something changed, Something real took place because he had made a sacrifice to the real God and God stepped in. What I've discovered is this, is that when you come to the subject of sacrifice, it separates the real from the fake. Because I got news for you. I hate to give you this news flash, but there are fake believers out there. Uh, There's some fake believers in here. See, because the willingness or the unwillingness to sacrifice separates the fake from the real, because this is what I've discovered. If you are genuine, if you are authentic, if you are really a believer of, of, of Christ and he is really in your life and you are genuinely a disciple, you will make sacrifices. In fact, I would say it like this. Behind you, there should be a trail of litter. There should be things that you've cut off, that you've walked away from to come into relationship with Christ and to pursue Him. Behind all of us, there should be things like jobs and relationships and habits and addictions and problems that we've laid down. And that signifies that we're genuine because if we're not genuine, we won't lay those things down. We'll hang on to those. Because as American Christians, we like to be comfortable. And we don't want anybody, in fact, we'll do it like this. Uh, if somebody stands up and says, you can't listen to what you used to listen to. You can't watch what you used to watch. You can't drink what you used to drink. You can't go. We will get mad and leave the church and say they're legalistic because we don't want to make any sacrifices at all. And so since we don't want to make sacrifices, number one, we're not living a blessed life. But, but since we don't make sacrifices, what we've discovered is that the body has become inundated with fake believers they do what we do they put crosses on their necklaces and fishes on fish on their car and claim to know what we know no but they're only doing what we're doing because it's sacrifice that separates the men from the boys if you will it shows genuine this morning i would say to you that i know some of your stories and i know that that some of you are legitimate based upon the fact of what you've given up. Some of you stand or sitting in here this morning have given up houses. Some of you have given up jobs. Some of you have given up relationships. Some of you have given up your dreams and your ambitions saying, God, I'll follow after you regardless of what, me, what it costs me. And I would say to you this morning that you're authentic. We can guarantee the fact that you're real because if you're willing to cut off all those things, then you must love him. In fact, I would admonish you this morning that what you need to do is you need to look around and count the price that's been paid. Some of you are sitting next to people who paid high prices to follow Christ. Maybe you got into this thing easy, but it cost some of the people sitting under the sound of my voice a high price to follow Christ. It cost them family members. Some of them have been kicked out of their family because of the fact that they love Jesus. Some of them have moved across the country to follow the call of God on their life. That has happened. That is a sacrifice. Some of you are far away from home because you want to pursue God to the degree that you're willing to give up anything. 
to follow him. And I just came to tell you that you're authentic. See, we've talked as a body. Those of you that are visiting, you don't understand what we've talked about. We've talked about it in times past, multiple times, about the badges of authenticity that shows that you're genuine or not. The first one you will remember is that it is our love that sets us apart. As people see our love one for another, they'll know that we're disciples. That makes you genuine. The second thing I told you makes you genuine is pain. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to experience some pain. And so when I see pain in your life, that shows me that you're going through something and that you're coming out of something, so I know that you're real. But the third mark of authenticity as a believer is that you are willing to make a sacrifice. Every disciple made a sacrifice. Every disciple in the New Testament that said, I will follow Christ at all costs, paid a high price. And some of you are trying to follow with no sacrifice. You're fake. What makes you real is the level of sacrifice you're willing to make. The third thing that I would say to you is this. Sacrifice corrects perspective. You will remember in this story that Elijah makes the sacrifice, calls out to God, fire falls. And the Bible says that the people are turned in their heart towards God and they begin to cry, God is real. God is real. He's the one true God. It changed their perspective. The reason that we must live a sacrifice life is because it changes our perspective. If we give things up, it teaches us that those things are not our God, that He is the one true God. God, it shows me when I am willing to give things up, it reveals and changes my perspective to the degree that I'm willing to trust God. Because have you ever thought about this? What if God hadn't showed up that day? What if he gets the ox ready and pours water all over the altar? And then he gets over there and begins to pray and God decides to take a vacation and doesn't show up. We know that the the prophets of Baal had swords because they were using them to cut themselves, right? What do you think would have happened to Elijah if God hadn't shown up? They would have killed him. He was taking a huge step of faith. It changed his perspective. He recognized, i got to trust God. That's what sacrifice is all about. That is part and parcel to sacrifice. It is a trust issue. Some of us are not willing to trust God enough to make the sacrifices necessary to follow him because we're not sure that God will come through. But I just came to tell you this morning, if you would step out in faith and begin to live a sacrifice life, that you can trust him. He always comes through. He always comes through. Oh, he doesn't come on our time table. Makes you nervous. Has God ever scared you before? He kind of likes to wait to the last minute, right? What's he doing? He's adjusting our perspective. He's trying to get our, our, our mind and our attention off of stuff and get it on the one that cannot fail. Because I want to tell you, your car will fail, and your computer will fail, and your job will fail, and your family will fail, and your friends will fail. But there's one thing that will not fail, and that is God. He always comes through. So He changes our perspective when we are willing to trust Him enough to lay some things down. And there's a caveat too. Not only does it change our perspective, it changes the people around us perspective because when they get to see people that are willing to give stuff up that they would never even dream of giving up. What? You followed God and you you were going to be a nurse, but God called you to do something else and you just changed career choices and went a different, what? That doesn't make any sense. And they see something different about us and go, that must be about God. Our sacrifices changes their perspective. The fourth and final thing that I want to tell you this morning is this, is that sacrifice unlocks supply and it unlocks strength. 
In Elijah's case, the sacrifice that he made unlocks a supernatural intervention. I, I just want to notice that what he sacrificed opened the door to more of what he sacrificed. Y'all didn't catch that. I want you to notice that what he sacrificed opened the door to more of what he sacrificed. Think about that a moment. He sacrificed the most valuable commodity on the planet, water. And what do you know? Lo and behold, God opens up the windows of heaven and rain comes and replenishes the supply. That's how God works. So let me just admonish you this morning. Some of you this morning are at a financial place, an impasse in your life where finances are tight. Can I just give you a word this morning? If you would sacrifice your finances, it would probably unlock the door to your finances. That's the way God works. I don't understand that. I just know what happens. If some of you are dealing with scarcity of time, I would say to you that if you would just volunteer and use your time, sacrifice an hour. We have people that sacrifice around here. We have one of our youth ministry team members that the only hour and a half he has free time during the week that he's, he's not doing his job and that he's not with his family is one hour on Wednesday night. It's scarce to him. He's given up of his time to come and be with young people. You know what happens? I don't understand this. All I know is that when we sacrifice, God unlocks the door to the supernatural and gives us back more of what we gave. I can prove it to you out of the Old Testament. There's another account of Elijah. He runs into this widow lady that has a son, and he walks onto the scene when she's preparing her last meal. Go read it for yourself. The Bible says that she says to him, I have enough oil to make a meal for me and my son, and then I'm gonna, we're going to die. That's pretty, that's pretty scarce. And Elijah looks at her and says, feed me first. I beg your pardon? I don't think so. Are you out of your mind? You look all nice and plump. I mean, you've been down at the brook getting fed by ravens and and, and drinking, and, and I'm dying here. We're in a drought, and this is my last little bit of oil. But when she sacrificed that oil, was it a sacrifice? Yes, she was signing the death warrant on her own kid. She hands it and makes that meal for Elijah, and the Bible says that somehow, oh, well, I just got the Beverly Hillbillies theme song running through my mind, different kind of oil, but the same principle out of nowhere, it seems like an oil well comes and the Bible says that she had more oil than she ever knew what to do with. She got every pot she could find and it kept filling up, filling up, filling up. Why? Because what she sacrificed unlocked the door to more of what she sacrificed. There's this law we've talked about. Why don't we forget this law? It's just this little unassuming law throughout Scripture called the law of sowing and reaping. When we learn to live a sacrificed life, we unlock the door to the supernatural and supply is brought into our lives. But there's a second element of this, and then I'm done. The Bible says that when the rain began to come, Elijah stood up and he took his, his robe and he tucked it into his waistband and he, and he got on the starter's blocks and Ahab got in his chariot and slapped the horses and they took, a, took off and Elijah under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit took off and outran at least at the minimum 16 miles, outran horses. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that sounds like strength. 
to me. And what I came to tell some of you is that if you would make sacrifice, sacrifice won't make you weaker. Sacrifice won't make you more tired. Sacrifice won't devastate your life. At the moment you make sacrifice, that we are told and we are taught that at that moment, God will step in and strengthen you. That's why the Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. Some of you are tired right now. Some of you don't feel like sacrificing right now. Some of you have been given for so long that it's begun to hurt and you don't think you can give anymore. Keep given because when you do at that moment strength will come and you will be able to run ever come to church tired worship team ever stand up and not feel like singing kids worker ever walk into a kid's room and think i don't want to have nothing to do with these little rug rats today i think i'll kill them all and tell and then tell everybody god killed them right uh, yeah okay so y'all are former children's workers so i understand we get to that place I told him in the first service, just to be honest with you, I'm tired. It's been a long two two months. It's been a long haul the last two months. We have gone. We have worked. We have served. I've preached my guts out. We have tried. We, I'm tired. But I'm going to guarantee you this. When I walk out of here, I'll feel better. And I will feel refreshed and renewed and revigorated. Because, why? Because when God sees our sacrifice, it unlocks the door to supernatural strength. Some of you are tired this morning. I just want to encourage you to keep giving, keep working, keep holding on because God wants to unlock strength for your life. So my question this morning is, are you living a blessed life? It's not enough to just live generously. It's not enough to just live shared. You've got to live sacrifice. My question to you this morning is, what has it cost you to follow Jesus lately? What litters the ground behind you? Have you given up anything for him. See, sacrificing will stretch you. See, I see some of us getting fat and sassy spiritually, but I, I'm calling you out of that. I'm calling you, I, I want to see some stretch marks. That's what sacrifice does to you. It stress stretches you to the place that it forces you to grow again. When's the last time that calling Jesus Lord cost you something. We have some heroes in the room. Brandon and Jen, we support them monthly. They're giving their life, helping church planners. We support Jackie Davis. What would cause a young lady at the prime of her life to go live in a small village somewhere far away from home? What would cause a Mother Teresa to give her life and live in abject poverty? What would cause missionaries to go far away from their families, far away from the best medical conditions and raise their own families in that environment? I can tell you one thing. They've crossed the line and made up their mind that they're willing to live a sacrificed life. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to pay the price? Has it cost you anything? I want you to hear me clearly this morning. If it hasn't cost you anything, it does not count. Father, this morning, I pray that you would touch our folks. And I pray that in Jesus' name, you would cause us to come to the place in our walk where we are willing to lay things down the most valuable things in our lives, if you will. Father, some of us, there are people under the sound of my voice this morning that are going to be, they are going to have to make the decision 
to lay down what they value the most, family and friends and possessions to follow you. Father, we declare this morning that we are sold out. We are committed to following you. We want to live a blessed life. So God, I pray that you would increase our level of willingness to sacrifice for you. I pray that we would lay down whatever it takes to know you. That we would lay down whatever it takes to fulfill your will and purpose for our lives. For some here, Father, that's going to be a really difficult thing. But I pray that you'd do that in them today. Father, those of us that have known you for years, I pray that we would take stock of our life and we would count the cost. And if we've been coasting and we haven't laid down anything recently, I pray that you would penetrate our spirits this morning and call us back to that place of discipled living where we sacrifice for you. God, if there are those that have sacrificed and they're short on supply this morning, I pray that you would unlock the doors as you see their faithful and consistent sacrifice, that you would bless them beyond measure. Your word declares that you can give back to them more than they could ever imagine. I pray that you would do that. There are folks here, Father, that are sacrificing of their finances, that are sacrificing of their time, that are sacrificing in their relationships to, to, to serve you and follow you. God, I pray this morning that you would open up the supply to them. God, there are definitely those here this morning that are weary. They've been doing good things. They've been doing God things. And they're tired. They have made sacrifices of their time. They have made sacrifices of their energy. They have sacrificed their efforts, and they are exhausted. This morning, Father, I pray that they would feel like Elijah. I pray that something would overtake them. I pray that the Holy Spirit would rise up in them, and they would feel like they could outrun the, the horses and the chariot. I pray that you would refresh and renew and restore every person under the sound of my voice that has grown weary in following you. I pray that you would strengthen them to continue to believe. Strengthen them to continue to hold on. And Father, we'll bless you for this. And we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just, all together as a body, would you pray this with me this morning? Dear God, we make a commitment that we will sacrifice. We will not try to get off easy. We will pay the price. It doesn't matter how high. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. Because you're worth it. Help us, God. Father, you heard our cry this morning. I pray that we would go home and we would take stock of our lives. And lay things down. In order to follow you. And we'll praise you. In Jesus. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.